Hey everyone, it's Ramon and welcome to the Human Optimization Podcast, science-based tools to optimize your physiology, master your mind, and unlock your potential. Now before we get into the episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Brain First, earth-grown, evidence-based nutrition. One of the products that I love and I take every workday to fire up my brain and get laser-like focus and interflow quickly is Genius Mode. Now, it took me years of research and testing to formulate Genius Mode for Brain First because I was sick of having dozens of bottles and powders to have to mix together all the different ingredients to give me the effect that I wanted. So Genius Mode has the best science-backed ingredients for peak mental performance in meaningful doses supported by experimental data. I personally take it shortly after I wake up and the focus and the drive and the motivation and the mental clarity lasts me all day. Now to get Genius Mode, use code RAMON for 10% off in addition to any other subscription discounts that you get on the BrainFirst website. Just head to mybrainfirst.com and you'll see a bunch of reviews from other people who are absolutely loving this product. mybrainfirst.com, code RAMON for 10% off and get your brain an instant upgrade. Let's get into the episode. Enjoy, my friends. In this episode, Dr. Amanda Blake joins the show. Dr. Amanda Blake is the author of the award-winning book, Your Body is Your Brain, and creator of the Body Equals Brain course on the neurobiology of experiential leadership learning. In addition to teaching about the art and science of embodiment, she works with progressive leaders worldwide to help them become their best self, enjoy life more, and make a bigger contribution. Once an internationally competitive athlete, Mandy is skilled at cultivating high performance in herself and others. She is a master somatic leadership coach, holds a degree in human biology from Stanford University, and is both a Fetzer scholar and a research fellow at the Fowler Center for Business as an agent of world benefit. Uh, Mandy, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, Looking forward to, really looking forward to diving into uh, your work, actually. I've been reading your book over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Love it. Absolutely love it. So talk to us first of all about uh, being a somatic leadership coach. What is a somatic leadership coach? Well, it's interesting because um, although that's technically my perhaps formal title in as much as I have one, (laughs) um, I rarely use the word somatic because it tends to be really like obscure and confusing for people. Um, So I'll tell you what I actually do, which is I work with people to help them um, cultivate behavior change in the direction of their dreams, in the direction of their goals, whatever it is they want to achieve in life. So building your best self on behalf of building a better world. And um, the, the approach that I use really emphasizes incorporating the body as a source of knowing and a source of learning, as a source of intelligence. And um, so that's where the word somatic comes from, although historically that term was intended to encompass not just the body, but actually a person's whole self. So it's a, the word soma is a Greek word that originally encompassed this, this idea of um, being um, sort of a a mental, having like a mental acuity and an emotional agility or fitness and a physical fitness uh, and a spiritual or moral compass. So like, how is it that we are whole humans? And um, a lot of coaching, a lot of therapy, a lot of work with people to help them develop and grow 
tends to be very heavily um, intellectually based or conversationally based. And while I work with my clients in conversation all the time, I'm also always asking them to pay attention to their sensations or to move in different ways or to stand or sit or um, uh, even just hold their head or their eyebrows or their feet on the floor in maybe different ways than they have in the past. And surprisingly, this usually untapped source of intelligence um, has a huge capacity to help us make change for the better and go after the things we want in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you get into this? Like, is this something that, that you've been in for a while? Like, like, yeah, what, what was the, what was the journey to get here? Yeah, it's an interesting journey. I haven't counted it lately, but it's um, probably creeping up on 20 years that I've been doing this. Gosh, that gives me a little like heart attack. It's been a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's actually like a, an exceptionally weird thing to do. So it's, it's, it's probably good that you asked the question because um, when I graduated university, I, I was, uh, I was in a fantastic major, but a major that was so interdisciplinary, it left me kind of like flummoxed as to, it, it didn't fit neatly into any particular career. So while my degree is technically in human biology, what I studied was the intersection between psychology and biology and the intersection between anthropology and ecology. And the idea there was like, you can only understand human beings by understanding them through both the lens of the natural and social sciences. And you don't just wanna look at individuals in isolation, biology and psychology, but also in community, right? So anthropology are, sort of communal um, structures and, and uh, uh, norms and ecology, how we interact with nature through cultural norms and um, habits and practices. So th- this is like how I came out of university and some of, you know, some of my friends from university went into medicine and some went into uh, policymaking. And so there were lots of possible directions you could go, but I was pretty lost. Um, and I did a number of things. I, I uh, worked in business in a variety of capacities and was always very entrepreneurial and eventually um, wound up finding my way. Uh, m- most of my work has been in one way or another in my career tied to education. So I went straight actually into educating high school students out of college. And that turned out not to be for me, but, um, but ultimately I wound up educating business leaders. Um, And that started as um, just sort of nuts and bolts business education, but eventually turned into coaching. And then eventually into, um, I sort of stumbled into this little known field of somatic or body oriented coaching. And um, that's been my specialization ever since. Hmm. So when you first got into this, you didn't know or, or had no desire to necessarily work with people in a sort of coaching education capacity? No, no, I would say, I would say I absolutely did. So um, at the time that I, that I got into coaching, I was actually starting, I was actually um, working in a software company here in the U S that does um, accounting software, creates accounting software. And I was doing all of the kind of educational systems around that and building. I mean, this was way before 
you know, Zoom and even before conference calling was really so interesting. And, um, you know, but I was doing um, both computer-based and online training at that time and all sort of oriented around, around educating business owners. And I was interested in educating entrepreneurs because again, like it, it was a way to help people achieve their dreams or what they felt they most wanted out of life. So from there, it wasn't um, a direct bridge, but a pretty natural bridge into coaching, a, a executive and leadership coaching as a whole. And then ultimately leadership coaching focused on the body. And that was it felt like coming home to me. I had grown up as an athlete and I was like, wow, here's a way to kind of marry all the intellectual pieces I was interested in in my university life with my history as an athlete, with my, um, you know, sort of uh, interest and curiosity and life of the mind. And what I would say is I, um, I stumbled into this body-oriented approach to behavior change both when I was trying to make some changes in my own life that I was really stuck on and when I was working with some coaching clients who, while I was having moderate success with them, um, some of them seemed to get stuck. And what I found is that as I started to learn how to work through the body, both for myself and my clients, I started to have these breakthroughs that I had, that I had been unable to access before. Like I could see that it seemed like it should be possible, especially in my own life where I was like, wow, I've been doing this already for many years and I have all these great tools and I'm stuck myself. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get unstuck out of some really um, sort of habitual patterns in my own life. I write about it in my book, some, some things around indecision and, um, uh, I had gone through a terrible breakup and I was having a really hard time getting over it. And so I was able to get unstuck in my own life. And then I was really able to help my clients get unstuck with the things that were kind of keeping them stalled along that path towards what they wanted to create in their lives. And I was like, wow, this is powerful. And so that didn't make very much sense to me, even though I had this academic background, because I was like, why, why? would it be so powerful just for me to stand in a different way? Like, come on, you know? And, and so I was actually a little skeptical and because of that, and because I had this science background, I was like, well, I'm going to go research what, um, you know, what the scientists have said about how brain and body work together. And that was really the genesis of the book was I wanted to answer the question for myself. Why? Like, why are these methods so powerful? And then I also wanted to create something that would help others understand and have some access in to something that um, is really powerful, but a little bit hard to wrap your mind around. Even today, as you know, yoga and mindfulness are sort of in an, an ascendancy, it seems worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, even today, it's a little hard to wrap your mind around sometimes. So that was the birth of the book. Why do you think, I think the word you used was untapped. Why do you think this area has been untapped? So um, not to pick on Western culture, but I'm going to pick on Western culture because that's my heritage and it's the, the, the world I know the most about. <laughs> um, you know, we have a long history, both a philosophical tradition and a, and a um, sort of a, some culture norms that have developed around what, how we educate ourselves, what we believe about what it means to be human, 
all of which tilt really, really heavily to emphasizing our intellectual capacities. And all of that was um, incredibly well-intended, right? And uh, initiated by um, curious people who really wanted to understand like why are humans that are animals different from other animals? And so there became this real fascination with our capacity for language, our capacity for thinking, our capacity for um, self-awareness through kind of like a conversational reflection, whether that's internal to ourselves or with another person. And um, that fascination with the, with the intellect became just crazy deeply rooted in our culture. So however many years of schooling you've had, it would be, it's the uncommon case that people have had an equivalent amount of schooling to train their embodied knowing. And I mean that differently from athletics, right? So some people may have had 20 years of schooling and 20 years of athletic training, but athletic training is a little bit different. Athletic training is training your body like uh, to perform, right? And honing the machine that is your body. And I use that metaphor deliberately, right? We kind of train our bodies like they're a tool or a machine. Um, that's very different from leaning on your, your body as an antenna whose signals give you information about yourself, about others, and about the world. And learning how to discern those signals, what they mean, when they're correct and when they're not correct, right? We get a lot of training and two plus two is four, it's not five, right? So learning to discern those signals and get really smart about all this information that I promise you is already happening 24 seven, right? Um, we just don't have that, um, that training, it's been overlooked in the pursuit of something else really valuable and helpful for humans. But now it's time to kind of redress that balance, I believe. Mm -hmm. So where do we start? Where, where's a good place to start? If I'm someone who's just coming into this, um, I'm just hearing about this for the first time, I'm wanting to learn more about the embodied self. Where's a good place to start? Yeah, a good place to, I mean, gosh, there's so many possible places to start. And it depends on where you're starting from, right? So my answer might be different if you're um, a software engineer from Silicon Valley, a group that I've done a lot of work with in my life, or, um, or a NASA engineer. I've worked with a few of those types too, or um, a yoga teacher, or um, a, young, a much younger person or a much older person. So it depends on what you're your background and interests and natural inclinations are. But what I would say is if you can start by paying attention in two domains, one is sensation. <clears throat> Excuse me, sensation is, um, uh, we could define that as internal visceral sensations coming from inside the body. Mm -hmm. But it might also be the sensation of your hands on the table or your seat in the chair right? So your heart fluttering, your gut moving, um, the, the physical feeling of breathing, all of which is very deliberately and by biological design, mostly filtered out of our conscious awareness. So if we can start to turn our attention towards sensation, we'll find there's always sensation happening. And it's usually telling us something. 
And then to get good at answering that question of what's this sensation telling me right now, that takes practice, that takes reading, that usually takes a teacher, right? Um, or someone who's walked the path a little, a friend who's walked the path a little bit before you. So that's one place to pay attention. The other place to pay attention is um, movement. So sensation and movement and paying attention to how you hold yourself. What's the tilt of my head or the set of my shoulders? Yeah, yeah. like as you kind of <laughs> wiggle yourself into a new position there, right? Um, and again, all of that tends to be filtered out of our conscious awareness, less so than sensation. Very often in order to pay attention to sensation, we close our eyes and that's fine. A more advanced uh, method is to be able to pay attention to sensation with your eyes open, which that's you, that you can build that. And then even more advanced, pay attention to sensation in the midst of a conversation with another person. And then even more so in the midst of an argument with someone, how do you keep your intense sensations from sort of taking over and hijacking your behavior? So sensation plays a role and, and, and so does movement. And you might find right now that you know, as you were kind of wiggling and dropping your shoulders and that, that actually can shift your mood. So I would invite anyone who's listening to just um, pull up their shoulders around their ears for a minute. Notice what that does to your breathing. Yeah. And, and notice what happens as you're sort of naturally kind of constricting your breath as your shoulders are up. And then if you exhale and release your shoulders, there's a little less of a signal of anxiety going to your brain, right? And so um, the brain is reading this information body up all the time, right? And, and we're getting these signals and we, I promise you, are responding to them. It's affecting our behavior. It's affecting our decisions. It affects our intuition, which is sometimes thrown off by the way we're holding our own bodies. You mentioned, you know, the posture and I straighten up my posture as you're speaking about that, but one of the, and, and I do that quite a lot uh, on these podcasts, because one of the things that I am aware of is uh, like when you were speaking before, I'm really, I find myself really starting to lean in because I'm getting drawn into the conversation here, but I also need to be aware of um, the time, how long the podcast episode's going for, what uh, taking the perspective of my listeners. So I kind of have to bring myself back out of that to a macro. And I find one of the ways that, that I do that, uh, or at least to prime that, is to actually move back up into kind of an open awareness type of posture, which almost gives my brain access to more information than when I have this full lean in, like I'm really paying attention to what you're saying, because then we could go down the rabbit hole and I need to be aware of these other things. So super, super interesting. So it gives me, this gives me an idea of an experiment that, that, that we could do together now and that listeners could do along with us if, if you're interested. And yeah, it's an experiment that um, will, will help us see how the, how our body is a source of information. So what I Wait, is this good for you? Does this sound like a Fantastic. interesting exploration? Okay, so I imagine you have a phone nearby because these days many of us do. So a phone and a roughly phone-shaped thing. I'm gonna um, grab a, um, a minute here. I'll grab this little um, internet device that's roughly phone-shaped, right? So they don't need to be the same. So whatever you've got in your hands, two things. Do you have two things that are not the same, but close 
close in size. Close enough. Perfect. Yeah, it looks about where you're holding the same same kind of thing. So okay, so just hold them and just notice like one might have a different texture than the other because of its case. Notice that one is heavier than the other, right? They've got a different size and shape. So you're just paying attention to what's in your hand. This isn't rocket science. And then what I want you to do is just, just squeeze both of these items. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and now notice to what degree can you dis distinguish the difference in texture, the difference in shape, the difference in weight. The difference in size may still be really easy to feel depending on what you're holding. So, so what's this doing for you? And, and you can let go if you like and, and uh, let yourself just receive, again, the information from these two items. They're different. You can feel that and it is a feeling knowing, a sensing knowing. Hmm. Yeah, so what's this provoking for you? Um, <laughs> if, if I'm completely honest, it reminded me of um, when I brought the bin in on Monday. This is really bizarre. When I brought the, the bin, uh, we have bin day on Monday, I brought the bin in. And as I pulled the bin along the street to bring it inside the house, this piece of information came up into my mind, which is there's still something in the bottom of the bin. Like I can, I can sense the weight of this, that the weight is different. It just popped into my mind. And I thought it hasn't been fully emptied. And I opened it and there was a piece of foam. It would have only weighed, I don't know, maybe barely a couple of hundred grams. It was barely anything. But even that, like, because I've done the bin so many times, I could feel the difference. My brain could, my, my body and my nervous system could tell the difference in weight with this bin of a couple of hundred grams in a great big wheelie bin, which when I opened that, I went, wow, that's just incredible that, that I had this sense that there was a weight difference, but it would, if you, if I deliberately and consciously went, is there a weight difference here? I would not have been able to tell. And it's the same kind of thing yeah. here, like, these are they have the same types of corners um they're actually very very close in weight when i'm trying to consciously pay attention to that is very different to when i just sense it i think that's the thing for me is the difference between sensing it versus trying to almost deliberately pay attention to differences between things that are very very similar that's what's coming up for yes me. Well, so this is, this is pointing to everything that I, that I wanted to illustrate here, which is our body is a source of information and of intelligence and of knowing about the world. And the way our body knows is not through what we would call conscious attention, which we usually, what we usually mean by that is like thinking in words. Sometimes for some of us, it's thinking in images. Um, but very, very often we, we think of that as like thinking in words, like, is this one heavier? Let me see which of these is heavier, right? Versus sensing. And that sensory knowing tells us things about the world. Now, it can tell us about our phone versus something that's phone-like. It can tell us about, surprisingly, a tiny amount of waste left in the bin or a tiny amount of weight anyway, left in the bin. Um, and it can also tell us things 
that are much more relevant for our like everyday immediate uh, action and survival. Like, I don't want it survival, yes, but also thriving, right? So it can tell us things like, uh, and answer questions like, to what degree do I trust this person? Or is, is direction A or direction B, should I choose door number A or door number B? Or, uh, you know, how do I approach this situation with the most um, relaxed confidence I can, right? And our bodies will have answers to those questions and ways of being. So it's an experiential rather than an intellectual or, or informational way of knowing. Now, we haven't gotten into at all the nervous system networks that actually perform all these tasks. And I don't know if we need to, but we do, this is all supported by our uh, brain and body anatomy, right? And we have this intelligence that runs all the way out to our fingers and toes. And it tells us really important things about our lives. Our, um, it plays an important role in emotions. It plays an important role in relationships. It plays an important role in the actions we take. Um, and all of that is built in and literally physically wired in to our systems. Um, so this is just a tiny little illustrative exercise, but it points to a much larger uh, reality that I think has big implications for our lives. How do we, how do we bring this sensing, this awareness up into and, and sort of use it in the real world? Do we need to bring or bridge a gap between that and the intellectual? We need to add a linguistic component so we can describe it and make it sort of more real world. Like how do we, how do we use this somatic intelligence to navigate out there in the world? Yeah, good question. So um, you may remember that in, in my book, I write about the difference between embodied self-awareness and conceptual self-awareness. Right. So embodied self-awareness encompasses the kind of, you know, I said, you said, where do we start? I said, sensation and movement and paying attention to kind of, we could call it movement or um, posture, gesture, right? Um, the, these, these things are our embodied self-awareness or our experiential ways of knowing about the world and knowing about ourselves, right? And then we also have conceptual self-awareness, which happens in different structures of the brain and body. It's not just a brain-based uh, process, um, but our conceptual self-awareness is based more in language and narrative and story. And there, there's kind of a two, I hesitate to call it a two-step process. It's not a stepwise process, but there's probably two things at least that you would need to do to make this more actionable. One is to shift the way you pay attention in order to cultivate and build embodied self-awareness so much that you can pay attention inside while you're in conversation with another person. So for example, while I'm talking to you here on this podcast, I'm also aware of the bottoms of my feet on the floor. And everyone listening might go, oh, I have right feet. I, I remember those. I wasn't paying attention to those before, right? So um, be, be developing the capacity to pay attention to your sensory life and all of that information that the ant antenna of your body is, is sending you 
while you are in action and doing other things, that's uh, foundational, I'll say. It's not step one, but it's very foundational. And then the other piece is to start to marry that with your conceptual self-awareness. So I have this information coming from uh, kind of my physical sensory um, knowing. And I have this other information coming either about myself or about the world. So there's a conceptual knowing. Um, I, I have this conceptual knowing about this situation. What is the whole of my intelligence? Tell me about the next move to make. Um, and that can be used, the, what the research shows is that, is that all of this plays a really important role in intuition. It plays an important role in uh, decision-making. It plays a really important role in emotional regulation and resilience. It plays a really important role in empathy. The way we're wired physically throughout our fingers and toes, the way we empathize with others is actually to model in our own bodies what someone else is experiencing in their body. And it, it all happens below our conscious awareness but we're doing it all the time. And so um, in the same way where like you might squeeze the phone and the phone like item, your body's going, mm, can I trust this person? Or, uh, oh, this, this relationship is a safe place to relax. Or, wow, I feel enthusiastic about what we're gonna create together. And if you are able to develop your embodied self-awareness enough that you can sense those signals on the inside, and like I said, help you make better decisions, <clears throat> stronger and more accurate intuition, um, better emotional regulation when you're getting thrown off by something someone says and so on. So what's something that, um, and if you're, if you don't mind sharing, uh, something that, uh, you know, you've been working with a client on, what's, what's something that, many of your clients have experienced that is like really profound, something that they never really expected when they start applying a lot of these in their, in their life as they're pursuing their goals and, and the things that are meaningful to them. That's a, that's a brilliant question. And it's actually one that I want to, um, now that you've asked it, just like really spend more time with, maybe pose to some of my clients. Um, because a word that I often hear is magic. Oh, this is like magic, right? Like, wow, there's something magical about how I can now shift my mood from a situation where I felt like I couldn't contend with a situation or I was feeling uncertain or I was feeling hopeless. And I, I now have this magical superpower where I can like, experience all of that happening and choose something different. Um, wow, that affects my relationships really differently. Um, so so the, word, the word magic comes up quite often, but I think it's really when I think across my clients, it's really unique to each individual client's situation. So like for one client, it might be that she goes from feeling a little shrunken back to feeling more like she can be visible and let herself and her work be seen in her workplace. Or for another client, um, uh, he feels like he can bring all of his intelligence and all of his, what he has to offer, even though he's working with people who he finds quite intellectually intimidating. 
Or um, for another client, she finds like, oh, my compulsion about um, frantically working all the time has let go of me. I am no longer at the effect of it. Yeah, sometimes I still do too much as I have a long habit of doing that, but I have a way out of that habit now. And so I, th I think the magical thing is that people find uh, shifts and changes that matter to them, sometimes that they've been seeking for a really long time. And um, I know it, it's been that way in my own life. And I, that's why I do this work, because it's, um, it's very rewarding personally um, to even be in the practices myself. And it's very rewarding professionally to be able to share this magic with other people. Just one more thought about that, if I may. Um, my uh, companion is, a, is an electrician. And to me, that's magic, right? Like, I don't understand what he does. And he's wiring things up. And I, you know, it's like, but there's a whole world of people who really understand that. And it's not magic at all to them. They can put it together and it makes sense. And so I think part of what makes it uh, magical is that it's new to us. Yeah. But we all have this, we all have this innate capacity. And so in many instances, while it feels sort of like eye-opening and amazing, like one client said to me, um, uh, oh, this is a better one. Um, someone wrote uh, in, in an endorsement for my book, he wrote, uh, I feel like you've introduced me to a life partner that I've been in love with the whole time, but inattentive to my whole life. Like, I, I didn't really know that this, that this, wonderful, loving relationship was there. And yet here it is. So there's a way also in which for, for many of us, it feels like a coming home. Yeah. Yeah. When clients come to see you, is there much of a gap that you need to bridge between what they're interested in? Let's say I'm, I'm, my main goal is like, I want to build a successful business and the work that you do uh, and this is a conversation I have with, with my students and, and coaches all the time when, you know, I introduce this and, and we teach a lot of it about this sort of holistic approach where we're looking at the physiological stuff, the somatic stuff, the affective, you know, affect and emotions and the linguistic all in, all in the context of pursuing goals and behavior change. And someone comes in and says, you know, I need to make better quality decisions and, we assess like, for example, it might even be their sleep quality and find out that, well, hey, if you just got a really good night's sleep, then these are all the things that would happen physiologically. And the next day, the problem might not even exist or the way you approach the decision is going to be completely different. Uh, but, but a lot of my students are like, well, you know, sometimes how do we raise this idea of, hey, I'm trying to make a decision in my business and now looking at, well, what's going on in your body do you find that you need to bridge this gap uh, often? Or, and if so, like, how do you navigate this, uh, this area? Okay, so first of all, this is why I wrote the book, is because this, this was the, a huge chasm that absolutely needed to be, to be um, bridged. And um, in working with my leadership clients, I would be like, hey, let's try this, you know, like, 
embodied exercise and they would look at me like I had eight heads, right? Like, what do you, I don't understand, <laughs> right? And so um, I didn't have a way to talk about it. And it's one of the reasons why I was like, well, is there any, why does this work? Like, I know it works from my own experience, but, but that doesn't make very much sense. I agree with my clients who are perplexed, right? So um, uh, a lot of the gap bridging happens over there on the page. And oftentimes, you know, I'm in a different position now where people specifically come to me for this kind of work. So I often get asked this question and I'm like, well, not really anymore, but yes, I have spent a lot of my career bridging this gap and actually devoted many years to writing a book about it. And I think the biggest thing that works is to always stay anchored in I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if it has anything to do with the body or not. If you're going to engage in any kind of exercise and any kind of learning and any kind of um, modality that is intended to help you change, you've got to be connected to why you're doing it and how it's relevant, how the outcomes are relevant in your own life. And there's got to be a thread or a through line between I'm seeking this outcome, like better decision-making. And I can see that X and Y and Z all feed into better decision-making. So if you're a person that wants that in your life, or if you're a person that wants more, you know, confidence or deeper empathy or connection with other people, or then, then you can go looking for, well, what role does the body play in that and understand that? And then that might help you um, tap your embodied wisdom in pursuit of that. Um, when we're talking about really like specific, um, career outcomes or career goals, right? I have a client that I'm working with that has, um, really asked himself whether he wants to play a role as a CEO in a company or whether he wants to advise other CEOs. And, um, he's still very much in this back and forth, um, process of deciding about this for himself and choosing and, and constantly re-choosing the path that he's on. And when we, just this week, in fact, we were working on um, some embodied exploration of, you know, where do you feel most tense? Where do you feel most relaxed? And how does that inform your decision? So those kind of always drawing the line between we're, we're doing Again, I don't care if you're like filling out a worksheet, which we're just used to doing and we assume that's going to help us, right? Or if you're changing the way you're moving or if you're changing the way you're paying attention inside, it always needs to be relevant and tied to the the outcome you're looking for. Does that, I hope that. Yeah, absolutely. Always bringing yeah. it back. Well, I mean, that that's one of the, the principles in coaching, isn't it? It's like we're always putting it within the the context of what's important to the client and and linking it back otherwise it's just you know it doesn't work i think i mean i'm very direct with this stuff and i because i've also like you know clocked up 10 12000 hours of session so i've had every every you know the whole entire range of people saying well how does this relate to this and i've had an answer how does this relate to this and i've, and I've had an answer but i think even just delivering it with confidence you could you can bring in things that seem so far out of where the client's head is at 
when delivered with confidence and then linked back to why it's important to them. Oftentimes I found that it doesn't really need much more of an explanation than that. But ah. it's something that comes up with coaches all the time. Oh, how do I do this? They're here and I need to introduce that because I know how important it is. How do I bring it into the conversation? Yeah, if you have a if you have a depth of trust with your client where they're willing to be experimental with you, and if you yourself, and I think what you're saying about confidence is really important, like if you yourself are anchored and grounded in understanding the connection and the relevance, then um, you can easily convey that both with your presence and with maybe a few a few words. But you don't need to never really do I. Um, do anything more than just throw a few sort of neuroscience-based tidbits in someone's direction, a client's direction. Um, but what you said made me think of something. So I, I know you've had um, my colleague Richard Boyatzis on, on your podcast. I believe that's true, yeah? And I don't know if you and he talked about this, but you know, one of the things that he is really um, uh, sort of excited about and and has a lot of attention focused on these days is um, the importance of a meaningful vision. And mm -hmm. what we know is that when we're anchored into a meaningful vision, meaning whatever we're doing in our learning agenda is relevant to that meaningful vision, that connection to what he calls our ideal self, right? When we're there, that, that initiates a whole physiological shift in the body that makes us much more open to learning. And, um, and so this is, you know, the, to say it flows both ways makes it sound like there's two things. There's not two things. There's, there's not a body and a mind. There's an individual that you are, right? The self that you are. Um, and, uh, and they're all the quote unquote parts of you, but in our lived experience, we're not divided up into parts. We're, we're a whole, right? And so tapping into vision and then tapping into the felt sense of aliveness or care or energy behind that vision. This is where I was talking about conceptual self-awareness, the vision, the idea, the painting a picture of whatever it is you want and the embodied self-awareness, the feeling of excitement or relaxation or um, thrill or uh, quiet, settled calm that goes along with that vision. Like, oh, that's right where I, that's right where I'm headed. Like the marriage of those two things is just really, really powerful. Can we, being mindful of time here, can we touch on some of the uh, different areas in your book. So, you know, purpose, resilience, empathy. Uh, what are some of the, uh, maybe you can just speak about some of the, the different things that are going to be useful for people, for our listeners. Um, perhaps someone who's, you know, they're coming across this for the first time. We've got a couple of ideas about around sensation and movement and awareness. Um, so, oh, yeah, being mindful of time. Um, there's there's a lot I could say about that. Here, here's what I'll here's what I'll say. Um, there is a foundation. The foundation is developing your embodied self awareness. So the research that I'm conducting uh, right now is showing really um, strong effect sizes. Meaning, you know, um, there's a really strong relationship between and significant relationship in scientific terms 
between embodied self-awareness and a number of very specific outcomes, including flourishing, resilience, adaptability, uh, empathy, conflict management, connectedness with others, right? These are all outcomes that we, that we want and strive for in our lives, right? And so the foundation really is growing your embodied self-awareness. And the first step to doing that is to start to pay attention to sensation and movement um, as closely as you can. And then to pay attention to those signals in ways that are, again, we were talking about relevance in ways that are tied to and relevant to your life. So what's my body telling me about this exchange with this person? What are the internal interior sensory signals that I'm getting? How am I holding myself uh, in, in response to um, even like this email that I received, right? Because that's an exchange between people. Um, and uh, really look, looking at all of that as, as carefully as you can. Now in the book, I go through, I think 12 different things. They all start with C. There are things like confidence and courage and uh, uh, I wrote the book. I should remember all of them, but I don't, <laughs> um, but I thought about them very, very carefully getting there. Um, connectedness, communication, it can absolutely change the way we communicate. And, um, uh, and in the, in the book for any one of those given areas, I kind of lay out some examples of how that can work and, and have a few practices and I really, really hesitate to say this because it's going to be some time coming, but I have another book that's really oriented around practice per se. Um, and, and that'll, I think, come out. I'm not going to make any promises because I've, I've made that mistake before, um, but that'll come out eventually. And, <laughs> and we'll have, um, you know, we'll have a sort of more to share about specific body oriented practices. But the re I said at the beginning, like one of the things you may want to do is get yourself a friend that's walked the path before you, because this stuff is, is doesn't translate well to the page. Yeah. It barely translates to a podcast, wow. right? Like it, we we've had an opportunity to do a little bit of um, practice and exercise together here. And surely we could do more, but um it, it, it helps to have someone alongside who's gone, gone the path before you. Yeah. Which is actually why I was going to ask about the research. So this is research that you're currently conducting or have already conducted in a writing up publishing. Yeah. So the, this is research for my doctoral dissertation and um, it'll be published with, as a dissertation, which is, you know, unless you're the geeky sort, I don't recommend uh, reading 300 pages of, you know, uh, academic writing, but it, it will eventually be um, sliced up into shorter articles. And um, there, there are a number of different studies that are covered um, looking at what people's experience of body oriented learning is in their own words, as well as looking across um, hundreds. We had, I think, over 500 uh, coaches responding to our research around um, their embodiment experiences, their learning experiences, and their experiences of life life outcomes. So uh, a, bu a bunch of different studies kind of triangulated together. It'll be coming out soon. 
Mm, mm. I'm excited to read it. <laughs> well, that's good. Okay, good. You're my kind of neuro geeky then. Yeah, watch for it. It'll it'll be by next spring uh, latest. So, any final thoughts for our listeners? Use use all of your intelligence. It's life changing. It has been for me, and I hope it can be for you. That's that's why I come and talk to people like you is so that more people can um, discover the magic for, for themselves. Absolutely. Guys, your body is your brain, Amanda Blake. Uh, best place to get a copy of the book, your website, Amazon. Uh, you can, yeah, you can check um, on the website. There's links to a bunch of different places. So if you're not an Amazon person, you can you know find other links there. Um, and the website is mbright.org, E-M-B-R-I-G-H-T.org. You'll probably put it in the show notes i imagine um yeah and uh so people can can find the book and actually a ton of free resources and practices there so there's a lot of stuff that people can dig into there that's just available freely please help yourselves um the book is available on amazon all over the world so right yeah guys i'll put the um, links in the show notes and uh get yourself a copy uh, and these some of these exercises sound really good too. So we'll put the, the um, your website link there and people can go and check that out. Manny, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love chatting to you. Oh, likewise, likewise. Thank you so much for inviting me. So that's it for this episode. If you want to support the show, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, drop a five-star review. And of course, you can connect with me on social with the links in the description. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon.